AM 970 presents Eye on Real Estate. This is your premier source for real estate information. From the hot properties in the tri-state to the latest in real estate market trends. From mortgage news to answers to all of your real estate questions, you'll be in the know with help from the experts. Call now, 866-970-9622. 866-970-9622. Now, here's your host for Eye on Real Estate, Douglas Elliman's CEO, Dottie Herman. You're listening to Ion Real Estate, and we are reaching the second uh, part of our show. And we're going to finish up with Stephen Ebert and finish up on our topics uh, about land leases and land rights. And then we will have Dr. Sherry Spree on to talk about emotional uh, support dogs and service animals, the difference and what you should know, and what you can do and what you can't do. But Steve, you want to continue? Because we were talking about Adam, we had a lengthy question. Uh, but yep. let me just say this. It's hard with relatives, but if you rent anything, you know, whether it's with a relative or really or it's not, to get someone out of an apartment is not an easy thing if they don't want to move. Uh, and that's why, uh, if I recall, Citibank and some of the banks used to have this cash for keys thing that they would actually pay people to move out because when they had to get rid of them, the people didn't move out. And it's a whole process. So uh, you just have to know that it's one of the deal- things that you do when you rent. And if it's a relative, it's probably even harder. And now it's even harder because of COVID, because they have those things on that you can't throw in anybody out. And like I think Steve and I have told us, told you, uh, because the courts have been closed for so long, uh, when they finally open, I-, I think you'll be waiting a long time with all the cases that they'll be. So if you can resolve something through talking with someone, even if you have to pay someone, I just have a friend that just paid someone to get out of a place. Okay, she's been there. As she, they wouldn't move out. She, the girl needs the money. She's sick. And they, it's, it's months. It's like nine months that she wouldn't move out. And they finally, the girl gave her money. That's the only way she could get her out, but she's finally out. So in saying that, now, Steve, we can get back up to a completely different subject that you want to recap what we were talking about. So. Yeah, thanks, Dottie. Yeah, so before the break in the question, we were talking about air rights, and we were talking again how, under the zoning rules, New York City has some very particular rules for a lot of good aesthetic reasons and safety reasons that limits how tall you can build. But also, the rules allow the trading, and you can buy them, uh, of these air rights or development rights to make what we call a big assemblage. And again, keep in mind the Empire State Building. If you're walking along 34th Street, you see that very tall, beautiful structure. And then you see a lot of three-story buildings across 34th Street as you go west. And what other, another technique that developers do, because people are concerned, is I might have a wonderful property and a view today, but is that view going to be guaranteed into the future? Now, there's a couple of things developers can do. They can do what's called um, negative easements or air light easements in which they can basically buy the air rights or work out some arrangement um, where the neighboring building would not be allowed to build taller. So that way they preserve the light and air and view. Um, So that can be done as part of a package deal in the development of a project. And when you're buying new construction condos or calls for that matter, um, 
if developers are engaging in, in, in such a transaction, they will highlight that because that's obviously a very big selling point. So when we're doing due diligence, when somebody's buying new construction, one of the things we look for is to see, is there any agreement with neighboring buildings where they can build taller to block your view? Now, if nothing like that is done, a lot of clients say to me, whether it's new construction or existing, how do I know my view is going to be protected? Maybe something might happen in the future. There are some very select services, and I know one company in particular that we work with. Um, so for anyone who's a client of ours, we can order it. And it's actually not that expensive. And they can, will actually do through very sophisticated mapping software, research into the title records for agreements, actually do a three-dimensional rendering to see what is within the sight line of that apartment. And that's something that can actually be put together within a couple of days usually. Traditionally, it was a very, very tedious, expensive process and you had to go lot by lot in a very manual way. But there has been some very interesting tech developments that allows that to be done in a cost efficient and also time efficient manner. Specifically now in this building, where we're talking about 200 Amsterdam, again, on the west side of Manhattan around 69th Street, um, the developer initially lost the case at the trial level, but just recently got a big ruling on the appellate level. And I think that is a big win and a very important win, because regardless of whether or not you like that building, regardless of what your opinion is on open space development and how high, we should all want to have a system in which we can rely on government and the law. And that is, in my opinion, what this victory is about. The developer got a, de a legitimate Department of Buildings building permit. And then what happened was, before the project was completed, there were some policy changes. But the developer reasonably relied on that permit. And then there were people in the neighborhood who did not want to have a building this tall. They engaged in litigation, and on the trial level, some of the neighbors won, and they wanted the builder, to, the developer, to literally tear down a chunk of the top of the building after it was built. And initially, the judge ruled in favor of the neighbors. On appeal, the developer won, and the judge got it right the, on the appellate level. The developer did everything they should have done and could have done, and they relied on their building permit from the Department of Buildings. Now, if they want to change policies, then that's fine. That can affect future buildings, right? Laws constantly change. It's like a movie. But de development is like a photo. And there was a snapshot in time, and they relied on that. And so that's what this victory is about. And uh, this is a concept, in my opinion, that goes back to the foundation of the country. We have from the Latin this concept, there should be no ex post facto laws. There should be no laws after the fact. And where that trial judge got it wrong in the first look was that literally they tried to change the rules of the game in the middle of the game, right? You don't, you don't play a baseball game and then in the seventh inning say, we're going to allow five strikes to strike out a batter instead of three. You finish Good up point. the game with the rules that you had in place. That's a, a great point. Oh, okay, because... And Steve, uh, before uh, Dr. Squeak was on, 
I, I just wanted to finish up because we really got into a long, long conversation about relatives. Um, which could you just quickly explain what a land lease is? Uh, sure. Absolutely. You know, in most parts of the country, you hear a phrase that I own it, free, simple, absolute, you know, uh, fee, simple, absolute, excuse me. That means you own the land, you own the building. And in America, and it's a little bit different in some other countries for international listeners, you actually own into the ground too. In, in some other parts of the world, you only own like eight feet down. And after that, you need a different deed for mineral rights and things like that. But you could actually have a property and actually not own the land. So there's a number of um, buildings that are what we call land leases or ground leases. It's the same thing um, in which one party owns the land and then they lease out the entire property to another prop to another party. And then that party builds a building now. Um, and, and that's a ground lease or a land lease. Now, you need to look at those very, very closely. There are a number of buildings that do have land leases. And you know, people say, is it good, is it bad? It's different. And you need to know the economics of what's going on. So a couple of key points I wanna put out there. For anyone who's buying a co-op, when you buy your apartment, your evidence of ownership is that you're a shareholder in the corporation, you get a stock certificate, and you have a proprietary lease for your use rights. That proprietary lease in a co-op will occur in every co-op transaction. It has nothing to do with a land lease or a ground lease. I just wanted to put that fact out there because sometimes people confuse a proprietary lease on your apartment with a ground lease for the entire building. Now, there are a couple of different types of ground leases in my opinion, and I'd like to distinguish a place like Battery Park versus a private ground lease. So Battery Park, um, for people who are familiar with it, was built on land from the original World Trade Center when that was developed um, under the Cox administration, they added um, this whole, built out this whole area. And what happens is it's owned by the Battery Park City Authority. So because it's a government entity, Technically, we use phrases like a independent public benefit corporation. Um, they don't pay tax per se. So when you look at Battery Park, you have one payment. It seems to be slightly higher than other buildings in the area because you make one payment to your building and then they pay the authority through something called a pilot payment, payment in lieu of taxes. And that money in Battery Park goes for that whole area. Right, but, but at the end is, of the day, Stephen, yeah, I so, just want to, because we can really, this is a big, complex subject. Sure. And I know when I came to the city, I, I really wasn't sure. I was looking to buy something, and I think that we could dedicate a whole portion of the show to it. But just for a quick summary that, with that Steve will be able to really continue talking about, I don't know, but whenever I, I went to buy something that had a land lease when I first came to the city... And I was told by many attorneys not to, that it was bad. I don't think there was one attorney that told me that it was okay. So I think the majority of people say that. Now, I didn't really remember why they said it was not good, uh, because you really don't loan a land. So when you- But I, I, you know, I disagree with that statement. I think the attorneys did a poor job saying that, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Everything well, has- 
the right okay. value. Okay, but definitely when you're defining it, because I just want to make it easy for now, right sure. now, just to just not to get too deep into it at this moment. But when you don't, that's when you you the day you don't own the land. Okay, in other words, uh, there was about a hundred land leases in the city, mainly in Manhattan, with a concentration, as you said, in Battery Battery Park, Lincoln Square. And the land lease building does not own the land it sits on, and which is kind of an odd situation. So what do really people have to know about a land lease right up front? So here, here are the couple things. And, and, I, and I'm mentioning Battery Park because what you're worried about in the land lease on the most fundamental level is when the lease is over, the landlord gets the property back. Think of it just like renting an apartment. Right. Same idea, but on a building scale instead of an apartment scale. But the difference is you got to know who your landlord is and you got to know how much time you have, right? In the case of Battery Park, I'm not nervous at all because it's going to completely roll over because of who the landlord is. All right. In the other spots, yeah. in other spots, you can have a one-off private landlord and you got to be very, very careful. So num point number one is you got to know how much time, including all the options to extend, is left on the lease. Is it 20 years? Then I'm a little nervous. Or is it 200 years? I'm not too worried about 200 years, right? But the next thing is also, and here's the other thing, is what about escalations in the rent, right? You rent an apartment, you rent it for a year, what's gonna happen next year? You're right. gonna have to negotiate with your landlord. Okay. And you wanna make sure you understand when the next escalation is and how it's right. calculated. That's a very like, big deal. Right, and what I'd like to do is to really talk about this uh, like in some depth uh, next week because we have callers on the line waiting and I have Dr. Sherry Spree came, came actually here to, to where we're broadcasting from so that we can speak. So I want to make sure we have time for that. And this gets sure. complicated. I will just say for today that if you are thinking of buying something with a land lease, before you do that, you really need to call an attorney as Stephen is, who's knowledgeable in it. And as I said, I'm, we could go into the pros and cons of it next week, but it's not the same as if you're buying an apartment with when they own the land. And with that, and I'm going to make one. Uh, can I make one quick analogy just so people can, very can quick, simmer on that for next? I'll be very in. quick. Yes. it's like it's like buying a car, right? If you're going to go buy a brand new Mercedes from the dealer, or you're going to buy a 20 year old used Honda Accord. Each product has a price. It doesn't mean one is good and one is bad and never do the other. It depends what you're looking to buy and it depends what your budget is and what your metric is. So that's right. why I say you got to just look at the deal. So we can, we can talk about that further next week, but I'm trying to get everybody's questions answered. And I want to give Dr. Spree because everybody has called about this stock situation. And we had a caller of last week who said, you know, why? Is it? It's no pets, and they people have pets. So I want to make sure we give her time. Um, but I have on the line quickly. I think Rosalie from Staten Island, and uh, no, we had Rosalie on the phone. Uh, Sarah. Okay, I think Sarah, who wants to talk about Rosalie's situation, what, is that you on the line, Sarah? Yes, you have me on the line. Um, I had a similar situation to the previous caller prior to the um, commercial. And yes. 
as much as I love Stephen, Dottie, you are absolutely correct. Send that letter, register, and even if you don't send it, register, there is something called a certificate of mailing, which is proof of mailing that only costs a dollar twenty-five cents. And you can also use that as proof that you mail the tenant about the apartment about your intentions with the apartment and including in that letter she must state that she changed those locks and why she did it and she can also send copies of her documents from the exterminator as evidence as to what was needed and get a letter from um, the neighbor who had the carpenter and ants to also incorporate that within the letter. And that should be sufficient. As a matter of fact, that letter is to be mailed to the resident's last known address, which is the illegal apartment. And she should be fine. As long yeah. as you notify him or her, you should be fine with your intent. Yeah. So. That's I agree with you, Lucy. Because um, you know you could try to get a hold of people, and then they say you never did. Okay, you never tried to call us, even if you did. And if it's not registered, they could say they never got the letter. And at least when you have to, if you have to go to court, you would have documentation that a registered mail that you sent it, they received it, and the fact that you gave them, you know, a period of time for them to get in touch with you and, you know, after a certain time that's reasonable, um, no court's going to ask you to just keep that open. So I think that's, that's my, that's what I think is the best way. And um, she can send it both ways, Wait, Dottie, Lucy, because sometimes the way, they don't even thing, go to the post you. office to pick up the register mail. So, so Lucy, first of all, thank you. And thank you for, um, for, for what you said. I agree with you wholeheartedly. The only tweak I'll mention is you should send it two ways. You're absolutely right, but you should send it two ways. Send it certified return receipt. What's going to happen is if no one's there to sign for it, eventually that will not be able to be delivered and that will get returned to the sender and keep the envelope sealed, but also send it first class mail. The presumption in the courts is that first class mail eventually gets delivered. So what we do you know, and this is getting into the details of practice and you clearly are experienced, um, so, so I commend you for it, is we send it both ways. You send it certified return receipt in case you can't and try to get the signature, but if you can't, you get it back. And then you also send it first class mail. Um, and if you're really concerned, what I really recommend doing is bring both letters to a post office a little bit more time and don't even buy your own stamp. Do it as a, a transaction on the credit card so you have a receipt that shows you paid for postage and certified return receipt for one letter and that you also paid for postage on the first class mail. So you can say, look, here's also my receipt on this day and how it all matches up. Um, but, you're, but the biggest point, you're right, always cross your T's and dot your I's. You want to make sure you have all that information and you're protected. Yes. Thank you so much for your input and for calling. That's great advice. We're going to be back with Dr. Sherry Free. I'm an emotional support animal, service animal, what's what? 
Hey, it's Joe Piscopo for Pat Lafreda Meat Purveyors. You know they supply many of New York and New Jersey's finest restaurants? Yes, like 1,600 of those restaurants. Now you can get the same high-quality selection of meats for your most important customer, your own family. Lafreda deals in only premium 100% black Angus cattle raised and grazed in the United States. Their only focus is meat. You won't find any frozen side dishes or any gimmicks here. Offering every kind of meat and every cut like a tomahawk bone-in ribeye porterhouse center cut filet just to name a few supplying only the highest quality beef pork lamb veal poultry and america's best burger chopped meat blends shipped overnight cut the night you place your order and always fresh never frozen order online please at lafreda.com l-a-f-r-i-e-d-a lafreda.com Have you ever wanted to learn a new language like French, Spanish, or Russian, but thought it would be too difficult and time-consuming? Then go to Babbel.com and try it for free. Babbel works because it's built around real life. It teaches you everyday practical conversations that you will actually use. In 15 minutes a day, you'll be on your way to speaking a new language in just a few weeks. Babbel uses a modern conversation-based technique that makes language engaging, fun, and memorable. It starts by teaching you words and phrases. Then, sentences gradually get more complex. Soon, you're practicing short conversations about real-life topics. Babbel is created by language experts who use the space repetition method to help you learn quickly and remember what you learned. With Babbel, you can speak a new language. Babbel. Language for life. Celebrating 10 million subscriptions sold. Now try Babbel for free at Babbel.com. Just go to Babbel.com and start learning a new language today. That's Babbel.com. B-A-B-B-E-L.com. I'm Valerie Smaldone. I have a show that gives you a break from politics because it's something completely different. It's Bagels and Broadway, and there's Sundays at 2. On this week's show, celebrated actresses Blanche Baker and Carol Baker talking about Tennessee Williams and an upcoming production. Find out about the brand new Museum of Wild and Newfangled Art, an online museum, and the founder of National Day Calendar is on the show. It's a great lineup of guests, so join me, Valerie Smaldone, for Bagels and Broadway, Sunday your business is ready for a reboot a recharge the way our companies operate has changed the changes haven't been easy but there's help the marketing team at salem surround gives you the tools needed to stand out and be visible to current and potential customers online right now looking for what you do we can design a plan that targets potential customers with proven marketing strategies learn more at surroundnewyork.com surroundnewyork.com connecting you with new customers it's i on real estate got a question call 866-970-9622 here's douglas elements ceo dotty herman and we're back i'm thrilled to have back on our show she's actually with me right now as we're broadcasting Dr. Sherry Spree, who's been on our show many a day, getting us through COVID, talking to us, and she's still doing that. But as we had a call last week or the week before who asked, said, you know, I went to a a no pet building, Dr. Spree, and she said, you know, and it said no pets. So then all of a sudden I start seeing all these pets that people had. And I said, he went to the building and he said, listen, why do these people have pets? I moved in here because there were no pets. And they said, well, they're service dogs, so they're legally allowed. Now, I I contacted you right away, Mm -hmm. and I said to you, like, 
can you tell us what is real, like what, what is allowable and what's the difference between, and I didn't even know there was a difference between an emotional support animal and a service animal? Well, an emotional support animal is just a pet. It's, it's a pet that provides comfort to somebody with any kind of psychiatric problems, but it is a pet. A service animal is a completely different thing. That is a dog that has been task trained to help somebody with a disability. That disability can be blindness, deafness, Alzheimer's disease, and the dog is task trained to help this patient so that they can live a more normal life. So... If you, how do you, now how do you, like how, in other words, how do I know, how do I get a certification or any, in other words, because the building, if it's not an emotional, if it's not, if it's, if it's, if it's, if it's an emotional support dog, then can you force yourself? I mean, an emotional support animal is a pet. So you have to go to the building and, and, and ask them, can I, 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 I have anxiety and this dog helps me to deal with my anxiety. What do I need? Now, there are some buildings that will allow a letter from a psychiatrist confirming that this patient suffers with anxiety and that the dog is helpful. And that is sufficient to allow the dog to be in the building. But that is not a service animal. The American Disabilities Act specifically states that a service animal is a working animal. They are not a pet. And by law, the building has to accept the service animal. But the animal must be task trained to help them with the disability. So a seeing eye dog is task trained to help this person function on the outside by being the eyes of the person of its owner. Now, you get papers for that, I would assume. Like you, you actually don't anymore get papers. It used to be that you can register in New York City with the, uh, with the, the department. I don't even know what the department was, but it used to be that you can register the animal and they would send you both a license that stated that the dog is a service animal and a little tag. They no longer do that with the understanding that it is up to the owner to follow the rules that this animal is a service animal. The animal must be task trained and uh, be, be required to help this person with a disability. But there is no actual legal documentation anymore. Okay, I, I, I wanna, you know, I want to clearly say that a lot of times people get confused. You could go into a building that says uh, that this is a pet friendly building. Now, Stephen, how would you interpret that as an average person, including myself, would interpret pet friendly? Well, I think I think pet friendly really talks about just having exactly just having a pet. You mm-hmm. know, if, if I want to go ahead and have a dog or a cat because I like pets and I want to have one, that is how it interment um, a pet-friendly building. I think it has nothing to do with, you know, a service animal having a disability, um, right. you know. So. But I, I want our listeners to know that if you see, you know, if you say, okay, this is a pet-friendly building, and you make an assumption that it's a slam dunk, 
you shouldn't because it's not necessarily a slam dunk. It means that the landlord is open to pets, okay? It's not a guarantee. It means I, as the landlord, am open to pets, but you may have to meet a specific criteria. Maybe they're open to pets under a certain amount of pounds. Like they'll allow up to a certain amount of pounds. And if you happen to have a big dog, it might be pet-friendly building, but they don't allow dogs over a certain size. Okay? Uh, They have a criteria. So when it says pet-friendly, you cannot just assume that that means you can take any pets. Or maybe they have a limit to how many pets you can have. Okay, so, uh, or some kind of breeding. I know a lot of types of dogs, pit bulls might like pit bulls or maybe German shepherds, or sometimes the dogs that they feel are more dangerous, they might not allow. So pet friendly in general just means that you're open, that, the, uh, that, they, that, that they're open. Does not mean that you're guaranteed. So you really have to find out the exact information before you're making a decision based on your pet. Now, if you go back to when we started to talk about this and how it came up, we were talking about when you go for an interview. And I said, people go, you know, with a board, with a co-op board, you, in many cases in the city, you have to go for an interview. And, you know, we, we, we talk about some of the questions they would ask you on the interview. Now, if you have a pet, okay, when you're meeting the people, you should, first of all, tell them you have a pet, but you should bring a copy of your pet's health records to show that they're up to date, they've gotten all their shots, and, you know, they've gotten fixed. If you have a dog that's completely obedient because it went to training, um, which is a very important thing to do. I think if you have a dog and you're trying to get into a building in the city, uh, we have to interview for a board because they are much more apt to allow you to come in when they know your, your dog has been trained to be obedient. Right. And you were telling me that's a tough Right. Well, there's actually a test that the AKC gives with a, like a diploma to the dog when they pass the test called the canine good citizen test. And it's a difficult test to actually pass. It It is 10 different obedient tasks that the dog has to perform. Um, and if they do, they can then, they'll you know, they get the certificate. But right. Um, that's but, a, a really good thing to have if you're interviewing for a board. At the board, another question they might ask is how long have you owned the pet? Obviously, if you just got the pet, they might feel, gee, that you really have the pet only a short time and you don't really know what that pet's like. So it's better to be able to say that you've had the pet for a little bit longer. Um, they might ask you, are there any behavioral or medical issues and what's the current treatment? So if your dog has, or, and I say dogs because usually they don't make as big a fuss about cats, okay? I mean, it doesn't mean that they guarantee that, but they usually don't. Um, They will also ask you how well does your pet, your animal, get along with other pets and other people? Very important. Now, sometimes, and some boards actually make you bring your pet. Some don't. Some will just ask the question. But some will set up an interview that you actually have to bring your pet. And I know if you don't live in New York, this sounds bizarre, but that's actually true. 
And I have had people who go and have training courses and send their dogs to training school so that they're going to pass that test. And one of the big things that they're looking at is, remember, you're, you're living in a building with many different people. It's not a single family home, which is your right to do whatever you want with your pets. Okay, you could have as many as you want, as long as you take care of them. So they want to make sure that your pet gets along with people. So again, always good to have, you know, some training and have your pet prepared for the, the interview if they have to go for the interview. And a trainer will do that and help them, you know, show their interaction with other dogs or and, and other animals. Another question they might ask is, has anybody ever complained about your pet? Okay. Now, I guess if it was, you know, and I'm just giving you my read on this. Um, it's not a science. I guess if you had a neighbor that complained about your dog barking um, and they just said, you know, listen, your dog was loud. They barked. And that was the end of it. I'm not sure that they're going to go track that down. But if you've had any serious complaints, where this thing, maybe your dog bit somebody, something, you really need to disclose that. When I tell you that on these board interviews, and Stephen will tell you this too, whether it's about pets or it's just about your personal information, they scrutinize this. They go through everything. Um, and that's why I always recommend that you go with a broker that knows how to get into a co-op building and knows what buildings, what they require, because some buildings, you know, would just not be right if they wouldn't work for you. So those are things. Um, and then again, they're going to probably, in some cases, schedule a meeting or pre-meeting. Uh, now, some buildings that you'll find have amenities for pets. And those are usually, as long as your dog is, you know, passes an interview or has a few, has papers. Uh, but if you see that they have pet daycare in a building, which a lot, you know, so many people have pets. And I, we would, I was talking to Dr. Spree before, and she said, Spigotti, during the pandemic, even right. what, what will you say? To that, that's, now it's been reported that 50% of, of residents in New York City have pets. The pandemic, right. because people were isolated. And they're also home. Instead of being at work, they're working from home. And like, oh, now I can have a dog. And the dog is with them all the time. And they can train the dog. And, and, and they're so happy. Now, another thing you should look at is when you're looking at the, the whole prospectus, you know, sometimes you don't read the fine print. And that's why I always say when you're buying a co-op, you need to go to an attorney like Steven and have them look through all the fine print so that they really know. So you really know what you're getting involved with ahead of time and um there might be stricter expectations for behavior in certain buildings than others and they might have a clause that says if your pet barks that not you know and, and 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 cries that we have the right to evict you evict you so uh it's not you know it's, it's really important that you have an attorney really read the leases Again, like anything else that I tell people this in the suburbs, I tell them here, it's always nice to meet your neighbors. Like if you have a, a, I really believe this and it doesn't always work, but I just think that if you have a nice relationship with the immediate neighbors that are around your apartment, 
that you could knock on the door and say, you know, hi, I'm Dottie and I'll be moving into the apartment next door. And I just wanted to say hello and introduce myself to you. And you and you have you don't have to be friendly, friendly, but you have some of a cordial, you know, uh, relationship. Then uh, I think that's better. I think there's a break and we'll be right back. Buying a home requires a lending partner who can help you navigate through the mortgage process. The Citizens Bank Loan Officer can help answer all your questions and help you select the products you need in a clear and personal way. So the next time you have a question about home financing, call 212-857-6668, 212-857-6668, and ask a citizen. Mortgages are offered and originated by Citizens Bank N.A., NMLS number 433960, Equal Housing Lender. Hi, Kevin McCullough. As you know, our friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow that's ever been made, which it is. Mike created the new Giza Dream bed sheets as well. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for me, which is crucial with my busy schedule. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. And Mike's Giza sheets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. In fact, the first night you sleep on the Giza sheets, you will never want to sleep on anything else. I know, because that's exactly what happened with me. Giza Dream Sheets come in a variety of sizes and colors, and Mike is making a special offer for my listeners right now. Buy one, get one free. So call 1-800-651-0798 and use the promo code AM970 or go to MyPillow.com, but make sure you use the promo code AM970. Buy one and get one free. Call 800-651-0798, promo code AM970. Tell me why Relief Factor is so successful in lowering or eliminating pain. I'm often asked that question. Pete and Seth Talbot, the father and son founders of Relief Factor, tell me they believe our bodies were designed to heal. That's right, designed to heal, and now I agree. The doctors who formulated Relief Factor for Pete and Seth selected the four best ingredients, 100% drug-free ingredients that each help your body deal with inflammation. That's correct. Each of the four ingredients deal with inflammation on a different metabolic pathway. That right there. Approaching your pain from four different angles may very well be why so many Americans find such wonderful pain relief. If you have back pain, shoulder, neck, hip, knee, or foot pain from exercise or even just getting older, you must order the three-week quick start now. Discount it to only nineteen ninety-five to see if it will work for you too. I think it could. Give your body what it needs to heal itself. Go to relieffactor.com, call 800-500-8384, relieffactor.com. Craving delicious Italian food? Well, Michael's of Brooklyn is back again. Indoor seating is now available for diners by reservation only, and spaces are limited. Michael's follows all the CDC guidelines to ensure the safety and health of their patrons and employees. Have that signature Italian dish indoors. For reservations, call 718-998-7851. That's 718-998-7851. Michael's of Brooklyn, serving the community since 1964. It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. We're back, and I'm sorry about that little break, but for some reason my audio went out, and I couldn't hear that it was time for a break. But we're back with Dr. Sherry Spree, and we're just 
really talking about pet friendly apartments and basically that that doesn't that doesn't guarantee that your pet gets in there might be restrictions as we said i said before you should always have an attorney look at your prospectus and and the whole for everything whether you have a pet or not but there's sometimes fine prints that you know puts limitations or they could say if if your pet does this this and this we have the right to evict you so you 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 want to make sure that you know this and i always said be nice to your neighbors try to meet them because you know may more than likely if neighbors don't complain even if you know your dog barks or something they're not gonna know about it if your neighbors don't complain and i just find not always but if you have a nice some kind of a relationship with the neighbors right around you usually they'll come to you first before they go report it they'll say you know your dog was kind of loud last night and uh would you try to do something about it? And so then you'll have to deal with that. Uh, but you really should get a feel for the building. And I, to me, if, if you see a lot of pets and you, or, you know, if you, you, you could ask people that live in the building, but if you see these amenities that they have playgrounds for pets and little places, then that's a good sign that it's a pet friendly building. Okay. Now, why don't people want the pets? In buildings, because I was reading and I, I had it right here that, you know, they don't usually make a fuss about cats, uh, but they say that approximately one half of rental housings allow cats. Okay. The easiest type of animal to get in, into a, a you know, into a co-op or a condo. Large dogs were the most difficult. Uh, so if you have dogs like I had, mastiffs, I really don't think any co-op would ever take me. They're 200 pounds, and I really don't think they would pass any any interview as soon as they saw them. So that would be out for me. I would know ahead of time. Forget it. You'll have to get a single family home. We just had a friend of ours last night that has a standard poodle, and he was wanted to bring it on the plane, and he did not have paper. Well, he didn't have... Uh, the dog wasn't trained, and the dog was not a, a legitimate service dog. Right. So I, you know, we don't know that he could bring them on. The, I mean, you can always bring your plant, your dog in a plane if you want to put them in the cargo right. part of the plane. But Or if the dog is under 15 pounds, you'll be allowed to pay for the dog and the dog can come with you on the plane. But you, there's a limit to the size for a pet. So let me tell you a story says, pertaining to this subject that just happened uh, last week to me. I was with a couple of friends and we were at a, a really very expensive restaurant. And I say that for, it was a really good restaurant. And a girl walked in with a tiny little dog. Um, and she went to the bar. She sat at the bar. She wasn't sitting in the dining room. She sat at the bar and she had this little pet with her. And that was that. The, the, the pet wasn't loud. It wasn't barking. You couldn't even really say it. She had it in her arms. So one of the people that was eating in the restaurant saw her and she said to the waitress, listen, are you allowing pets in this in this restaurant? This is a fine restaurant, and how are you allowing pets? So the waitress said, "Well, it's a service dog." And the woman said, "Well, does it have papers? You, you, you I would like to see the papers it has. You have to show papers. You can ask for that." And the waitress really didn't know what to say to her, and she said, "I have allergies, and this and that, and I really can't have this." And so I asked the waitress, and she really didn't know the answer. I was wondering if anyone knows this answer. I said, 
What about restaurants? Are they, because I think I told you last week, if it's a service animal, a building cannot tell you you can't have them. It's the same with the restaurant. The American Disabilities Act specifically says that service animals are allowed in all places where no pets are. So basically, if you have a service animal, okay, I think it's against the law. And I think I said to that caller, you really can't go to the building and complain because if it's a service animal and it's truly a service, not an emotional support animal, okay, if it's truly a service animal, then it's against the law to tell them they can't come wherever that person goes and wherever they might go. And again, I'm still confused on uh, what you have to do to qualify to have a, a service animal opposed because there was a time when I remember that many people I knew would go to a doctor and get a note that they needed to have this pet because they needed it for their emotional stability. And whether that was true or not, I don't know. But it was pretty easy to get it. Now, what's the... So those are emotional support animals. They would go to a mental health provider just to get a letter that I I have anxiety, I have this, and this dog helps comfort me. It's very simple. But that still is a pet. A service animal is task trained to help somebody with a disability. But yes, it can be a psychiatric service dog where the owner has a psychiatric disability and this dog has been task trained to help this animal with that disability. Now, I founded a nonprofit about 11 years ago called Puppies with a Purpose. And on my site, we list a variety of tasks per psychiatric disability that would qualify if the dog can perform those tasks to help this owner with this disability. Right. And just to legally, and I, I, you know, I don't always like to get the legal jumbo, but just to give you the definitions, because this is a lot of people have pets. So this is an important thing. The American Disabilities Act defines service animals as dogs that are individually trained, as Dr. Spree said, to do work or perform tasks for people with disabilities. Okay. Okay, this explicitly and importantly does not include any other type of animal, nor does it include dogs whose sole function is to provide comfort or emotional support. So if your dog is only emotionally supporting you, the building might let you in or the plane might let you on with that dog or the restaurant might, but they don't have to. It's not by law. Well, or you, you know, and the plane, you can pay for the animal if it's an emotional support animal, but they can charge you if the dog is a service animal. Right. Because an emotionally, you know, an emotionally trained dog is, is, is not, if you're emotionally have the dog, then it's not trained to do a specific task. And I think that's really the difference in both. Okay. So I know we don't have, so, you know, I think if there's any questions, like you can call us, but I think that pretty much covers that topic. And we have a few minutes left before the end of uh, our another uh, real estate section. So we've asked you before, uh, you've been on our show when COVID was really in 
in, in, you know, when we were really going through the worst times in it. And, you know, we asked you how people were dealing with it and how it's been affecting people. And now that it seems to be not gone by any means, but it seems to be calming down. What, how, what do you find people? Is there like repercussions from it? Are they start dealing with it better now? People are feeling more se- secure? Or what are you saying? I mean, I think that there's a variety. I think that those people that are living alone are really craving social interactions. They actually want to go back to the office so they're not stuck alone all day long with nobody to talk to and just working nine to five on a computer. There are those people that are married and now live in a house and they moved out of the city in the suburbs. They're loving it. They don't have to commute anymore. They get to stay home with the family. And this is the greatest thing that could happen. So it's really an individual and there's a real variety of how people are reacting to this as this virus sort of starts to wind down. Right. But like I said, I don't know what you're experiencing, Steve, but I just know that this COVID has really changed the way we live and the way we work uh, forever. And again, depending on the state you're in, again, you know, being from New York City, uh, we were really it was really tough there. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if you went out to parts of Long Island or the Hamptons or maybe uh, parts of uh, Connecticut, it was a little less crazy, but it was tough. And then, then when you come to Florida, like you would feel that you were not funny. What are you seeing? Everyone, Steve, Eddie, what are you seeing now? Everyone calming down again, moving up. Well, I think people are adapting to it, um, and there there's some changes, um, but ultimately, you know, people are getting through it, and they're making some uh, structural changes in how they do things. But Eye on Real Estate with Dottie Herman is sponsored by Citizens Bank N.A.